Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Craig Ellingson, host of Oil Spills, a podcast on the Evanston Oilers. This week, we bring you a special 2018 NHL trade deadline episode, featuring hockey reporters from across the Post Media Network, including our own Hockey Hall of Fame writer, Jim Matheson. The deadline, of course, has been on the front burner of hot stove talk for most every Oilers fan, particularly over the last month or so, when it became obvious Evanston wasn't going to qualify for the playoffs. So who stays? And who goes? What should they get in return, and why? Eternal questions that always reach a fever pitch come trade deadline day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Post Media Sports Trade Deadline Podcast. My name is Paul Chapman. I'm here in Vancouver from the province and the Vancouver Sun. I'm joined by Ed Willis, who's a columnist with us here in Vancouver. We're also joined by national hockey writer in Toronto, Michael Trakos, and hockey writing legend Jim Matheson in Edmonton. Uh, good day, fellows. How are you doing? Good, but, but henceforth, I want to be referred to as a legend, too. Okay, we, we, we need to keep working on that, Ed. Let's see how this podcast goes. All right. All right. Uh, first off, we'll start with a disclaimer. Obviously, this is not live radio. It's a podcast. So we're hoping that you can download and enjoy this through the weekend. Prior to the trade deadline, obviously, people that we talk about and deals that we talk about may or may not happen. So let's jump right into it. We're going to start off by looking at teams that are looking to make some moves, um, who we're expecting to be active. And Michael, I wanted to talk to you about that first. Uh, you're in the center of the hockey universe, as they say. Do you think we're going to see a lot of activity leading up to Monday? And who do you think are really going to jockeying to be the big players? Yeah, thanks. I think definitely we're going to see a lot more movement than probably in uh, uh, past years. I think the big reason for that is there's such a defined group of sellers and buyers. And um, it's not just the rental players that we seem to be talking about this year. Um, Everyone um, is really dead set on the fact that a guy like Eric Carlson at Edmonton is going to be moved at the deadline. And when you look at Carlson, he doesn't really fit the whole mold of uh, a typical rental player or a guy that gets moved to the deadline. And to be honest, I'm kind of skeptical that he will get moved on Monday. But uh, when you look at teams like Toronto and Winnipeg, um, definitely in a playoff position, definitely in a, in a spot where they can make some noise in the playoffs, 
Um, I don't think they're going to make huge moves, but I can see both those teams definitely adding to their uh, cachet of uh, players going into the playoffs. Jim, obviously you're in a unique position in Edmonton. This is a team that has a lot of young, attractive pieces already and that people thought might be in the playoff hunt uh, going into this season or, or might be ready to take that next step as a team. Clearly they're not. They're a team that's struggling. What's the strategy for the Oilers heading into the deadline? Uh, punt, I think. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's uh, a good question. Uh, they're not adding. Last year they only added David DeHarnay, which seemed like an awful small piece for a team that was, you know, had 100 points. But uh, this year they're in sell-off mode, as they've been for so many years. And they really only have three unrestricted free agents. One, Patrick Maroon, who seems to me uh, a second-tier addition after a Rick Nash, perhaps, uh, or Evander Kane in terms of wingers. But he will get uh, traded to somebody. And then Mark Letesta was a good fourth-line player on a cup-contending team. And then Mike Camilleri is also unrestricted free agent. You know, and they're talking about Carlson moving Carlson. I just don't see it. I have no idea why Eugene Melnick would be that stupid to trade one of the best defensemen in the world, uh, presumably because he can't afford him. But uh, in Edmonton, they have a couple of you know of you know restricted free agents and and players that uh, have time left in their contracts that they perhaps could move, like an Oscar Clefbaum or something like that, if they want to change things up and trade a cleft bomb for an offensive defenseman as opposed to cleft bomb. But I think it'll be reasonably quiet for the owners and they'll be looking for draft picks like every other team in the league is looking for draft picks now. But I think the, the wheel is really turned. Teams do not want to give up draft picks now. Anything past the second round anyway. They'll give up third rounders, but they're very leery of the fact that uh, of giving up first and second runners when that's the only way you get better in this league is by keeping your draft picks. So that's what the orders are looking for in terms of, of trading uh, Maroon uh, and Latestu is, is higher draft picks than, than perhaps they would uh, normally get. But I don't see it happening uh, with those two players. Ed, that's an interesting point from Jim in that it seems that this year more than last year, teams are reluctant to give up the draft picks. And we're hearing a lot about teams that are looking to amass those draft picks. But do you see teams out there that have an opportunity now that if they make one or two shrewd moves, they can really put themselves over the top? Well, it depends what the price is. The prices are, uh, isn't that really, really the question here? And you, you look back over the history of the trade deadline, it really seems to fluctuate from year to year. And there are guys who, you know, fetch a second. I'm thinking of Brendan Smith last year, went for a second and a third pick, which is way, way overpaying. And some guys don't seem to command that same kind of price. So I, I think one of the things that has to happen here is the market has to be established and the activity that has taken place uh, to date have, hasn't, done, hasn't done that yet. Um, to your point, though, Paul, I think it was interesting. Jim Benning referenced that, that, you know, draft picks are like the Bitcoin of the NHL now. They are so valuable in the salary cap world and, and everybody seems to be jockeying uh, and <laughs> Las Vegas, unfortunately, is cornered or fortunately for them has cornered the market on it. So, um, yes, all the rebuilding teams, that's what they want. Uh, the established teams that are buying, they don't necessarily want to give that up. So, you know, I, I think there has to be some jogging back and forth uh, here to determine 
what the marketplace is going to provide. The other thing I really agree with, Mike, I think what sets this trade deadline apart is the number of players who would be available in quote-unquote hockey trades. That's players with attractive contracts with some term left on them that might make for really interesting trades if they come to fruition. Traditionally, those are the kind of deals that are dealt around uh, draft day or done around draft day, but with so many names in places and so many teams close, really, with the move here that might push them all over the edge, we might see you know activity, and that's when you see like names like Mike Hoffman, Max Pacioretty. Maddie, I, I think Maroon has term left on his deal, does he not? Uh, no, he's unrestricted. He's free unrestricted. Agent. Okay, Never, that's why you're a legend, and I'm just uh, an apprenticing legend. Uh, but there are players like that who would who who would be moved in a more traditional hockey trade, and I'd be curious to see if any of them uh, go, go at the deadline. Michael, you're at the center of where a lot of the rumors pass through with so much hockey media in, in Toronto. So I'd like to hear about the Leafs because the Leafs are now in a position where they look like they're on the right track. Are they actively looking to add pieces this deadline or are they pretty happy to stay their development course? Yeah, it's a good question. I think they're pretty much happy with what they have up front. Um, If they could add a fourth line center, um, they would definitely like to get an upgrade over a guy like Dominic Moore, uh, someone that could possibly play in your uh, top nine, um, if need be, or if you get an injury. Same thing with the back end. I don't think they're necessarily looking to get a number one defenseman or even a guy like Mike Green at the deadline. Although we've heard talk of Ryan McDonough possibly being on his way to Toronto, I honestly think the price is going to be too high for either one of those players, uh, for a guy like Lou Lemerel to kind of stomach. And realistically, they're probably looking at someone who's probably a little bit longer in the tooth, can give them a bit more experience as a maybe five or six defensemen and you know this is a team still um as as well as they have been uh this season they're still early on in their development uh let's face it a guy austin matthews mitch marner nylander they're only in their second full season in the nhl so uh, i think the fact that they are competing and are maybe considered a, a contender um it, it's a bit of um maybe a little earlier than anyone actually had anticipated uh, that being said um, I think they're happy to kind of go with this group and let them kind of uh, get their chops down. The only thing that might kind of change that is the way that Frederick Anderson's playing. Uh, as any of you guys know, when you've got a goaltender playing at a, a Vezina Trophy-type level, as Anderson's been uh, really since the month of November, that can change your plans in a hurry. And if the Leafs think that they can maybe upset the Bruins or the Tampa Bay Lightning in either the first or second round, they might uh, decide on getting a little bit extra, but... You know, it's all going to depend on the prices. And, you know, if the prices are what I'm hearing and a guy like McDonough I'm hearing is going to require uh, not only a first and a second round draft pick, but also a prospect that's playing um, or one of your top prospects as well as a roster player. Well, I don't know what team's going to be offering that for a guy like them. Jim, you, you talked about that, about how it seems like even versus last year, you see a guy like Martin Hansel move and not really be an impact player for the price that they paid. Um is this naive of some general managers, though, to say, no, I want to hang on to my to my draft picks instead of realizing that it is a little bit wide open this year? And it, especially for those teams at the top, if they make a move, it could be there for them to extend their run. Well, it depends how much money the owner wants to make, I guess. If he if he wants a couple of playoff rounds and he's telling the general manager, look, make a deal. We got a good team here. If we can get a couple of playoff rounds, that's more money in our pocket. The general manager is saying, I don't want to trade prospects because 
as Brian Burke has always said, there's only one parade in June, and lots of teams think they got a chance. And lots, you know, as as was proven last year when Martin Hansel got traded, uh, it didn't turn out. I mean, they gave up an awful lot, and it didn't turn out. And lots, those are usually the rental deals that get made, and they don't turn out all that well. Um, in this case, I agree with uh, Ed. There seems to be more stomach for just making a hockey trade. Uh, if you can make a hockey trade, which is what, you know, in term, what Ryan McDonough would be and what Max Pacioretty would be, uh, knowing that you would get them for longer than just a couple of months. So, but they're harder trades to make and, and they're easier to make, harder trades to make now and they're easier trades to make at the, at the draft when you've got, you know, you can take a look at, at, uh, your draft list and who's going where and stuff like that and whether you want to give up a draft pick. So, um, I don't know. I, I, it is very true that that draft picks, which used to be given away, given away like uh, suckers, are not given away anymore because the teams that that were bad uh, for a couple of years, if they hold on to their draft picks, uh, they get better. Now, the caveat, of course, is you better have some scouts that draft the right players. And it's nice to say, yeah, we're we're going to hold on to our draft picks, but if you don't draft very well. What do the draft picks mean? You, you, you still need to draft well, and I think that has been a problem for the Oilers uh, over the years. The last while, anyway, they draft, you know, Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl in the top three, and they're tremendous players. But once it gets deeper uh, uh, into the second and third rounds, they don't get a lot of good players. So uh, the draft picks to them might not be as, as big a deal because they're not drafting very well. If they have to give up any to get something better, that they might. Ed, have you seen a bit of a turning of the tide that if you're looking at this season versus last season, that it's more the teams at the bottom end that are looking for prospects, that are looking to dump players and dump contracts, that there's actually more action for them at this point than there was last year where it seemed like there were more teams going for it for a playoff run? Well, well I, I and I think this – falls in line with the question of the the market that's uh, still waiting to define itself. Uh, because I follow Maddie, I have enough time to think of really clever answers while, while he prattles on. But but I, I think one of the real interesting thing is who is going to be who are going to be the really aggressive buyers in this market because invariably there's one or two teams that pop out of the mix and decide they're going to push all their chips into the middle of the table and and there's a couple of likely candidates here I look at a team like St Louis which is a really good team that has some great young assets in place who could really you know do that 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 hockey style trade to add one or two really big pieces I mean they're close without making that deal and. Maybe they decide this is the year they go for it because it usually it, it just seems to me there's you that's usually the case. There's one or two teams that just can't help themselves. Uh, who that team is this the year Tampa decides again? They are so close, and they you know maybe they don't need to move, but but maybe in their internal med- meetings they go you know if we just add this that one extra piece that can really separate it. And this is the year we're going to have the parade. So uh, that's a really interesting question for me as this thing develops. Yeah, I'm with you. I I actually think St. Louis is going to be real busy. And to your end, and uh, and I actually think a team like Dallas and Nashville um, they keep mm-hmm. to kind of keep an eye on. Uh, with Dallas, they just seem very much in the same boat as uh, a team like St. Louis where you're going, geez, maybe they're just one or two pieces away um, from really becoming – because that's a team that I think I myself and a lot of people picked 
uh, at least to be in the conference final based on their offseason moves. And um, you figure that maybe they're just maybe one piece away, whether it's a Rick Nash or uh, I don't know if a guy like Pacioretty fits that mold, but or even a guy like Grabner, where you get a little extra speed and versatility. Um, I, I'm not saying that can be the difference between a Stanley Cup contender or not, but um, those are the types of moves uh, that I expect from those teams. The other ones I'm kind of curious about is, you look at a team like Carolina, and when's the last time they were in the playoffs? And now they got that new owner. And sometimes it's not just you making you're making these trades just to, to win a Stanley Cup. A lot of times, an ownership really just wants those two home dates. And when you got a new owner there in Carolina, I think the thing that he'd like to do is just make a splash and really end that drought a lot for a lot of those guys. Especially um, Jeff Skinner comes to mind in terms of he's been there for so long and has never really tasted the playoffs. So. I wonder if maybe uh, Carolina Hurricanes or a New York Islanders, if you're truly trying to uh, keep a guy like John Tavares happy, if you make a move just for the sake of, hey, we got to get in just to really appease our fans and also make some of our players happy. I've got a question. Just thing on me. I've got a question for our esteemed panel. I want to go to Jim in Edmonton. What do you do when you're George McPhee? This, to me, is one of the most intriguing questions about this trade deadline because I think at the start of the year it was pretty obvious what he's going to do. I don't think it's obvious at all at this case, unless it's just the status quo and go with what they've got. What do you see him doing, Maddie? I see him holding on to his unrestricteds, not trading Neil or Perron. I see him, every scout I talk to says they need a third-line left wing uh, and they need an extra defenseman. And they've got a million draft picks. They can give up draft picks for, for you know, a couple of players and then not have to worry about it. So I, I see him, you know, making some moves. And, and I, I wanted to say the two general managers that are, in my mind, are the most intriguing are, are Jim Rutherford. He, sit, he, he sits back with the cup team that's won the last two cups, and you're always interested. Okay, who's he looking at here? He's got a, he'll get something, and you'll go, oh, okay, pretty good deal. And then David Poyle in Nashville, he's the one – guy who makes the hockey trades one for one trades that you go oh man that was a good deal uh and you know their window in nashville uh with the players they have it's not closing but they're never going to get a better chance now with with the team they've got and they also have a 35 year old goaltender who's not getting any younger in pecca rene so i think i think they'll add for sure they need one more forward one more winger and uh if they got Pacioretty, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I don't think a guy, I don't, I don't think a guy like Mike Fisher is going to be their big ad at the deadline. I think you have to go a little higher than that, and I agree with you there. Well, he's a package deal. He comes with Carrie Underwood, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, I wanted to throw it out to the to all three of you. Then um, it seems going into it this week, at least, that it's a little bit more of a cautious market. Do we? Do you think that we're going to see one deal which is now going to spur some panic in terms of, well, I have to keep up with you know, this team or that team, or do you think this is going to go till Monday until we really start to see some serious action? I think, yeah, and I don't know how far back this goes, but I know in the last two years, significant deals were made a week, 10 days before the trade deadline. And that seemed to, you know, get, get things moving or at least set the deadline up. We haven't said, and I'm not counting that Darcy Kemper deal as a big move, as a big market shaking move. So I, I, I think that's one of the things that's happened, which, which might indicate there will be more after. And I know the networks are, are hoping for this. 
there'll be a little more activity around around the deadline. But I, I'm just a little surprised there hasn't been at least one significant move uh, made to date when we're sitting here. What are we, four days out? Friday, Saturday, Sunday, out yeah, three and a half, whatever, whatever it is. That's that. Are you guys surprised by that? Yeah, I almost feel like the Rick Nash move is going to be that one domino yeah. where it just sets everything else in motion. And the, the other guy I'm kind of curious about is uh, whether a guy like Evander Kane, like how much appetite is there for a player that you know? Let's be fa- let's face it. Like the, there is a reputation, there is baggage uh, when you are getting a guy like Kane, and I think it takes the right team to get him. So. A lot of these guys that are available, um, whether it's even a Rick Nash, like it's not the Rick Nash you're getting from three, four years ago where he was uh, close to a 40-goal scorer. And same thing with Kane. Like he's put up great numbers this year. But um, when you're talking about the off-ice stuff and just the rumblings that he's carried with him from Winnipeg to Buffalo, uh, I think none of these rental players are perfect or are even close to perfect. So I think that's also kind of holding it up where you're going, geez, do we want to bring this guy into our dressing room? Is he going to upset uh, sort of the, the the horse and the cart here, or um, do we just keep the status quo? There's little appetite for Evander Kane. I'm sorry. I don't care how good he is. They'll outweigh Buffalo. Buffalo wants a truckload. They'll make yeah. Buffalo wait till the last hour and say, we're not giving you this. You want to dump this guy, trade him? Fine. But here's what we're giving you. I don't think there's a whole ton of teams looking for Evander Kane, even though he's a better player at this stage than, than say, Rick Nash. Uh, I'm not so sure he's a better player than, than uh, Pacioretty, uh, who's got time left in his contract. But too much baggage. And you're also trading for a player that, you know, unless he he's changed who he is and, you know, lepers changing their spots, I don't know, uh, you're not going to sign him again next year. So uh, I think they'll make Buffalo wait, uh, wait uh, a while. And, you know, in answer to the question, it usually works. One rival in a division makes a deal, and the other team says, "Oh man, how'd they get that guy? I better, be, I better do something. I better go to Plan B and try to get somebody who's in the same ballpark as that player in terms of what you need." Who, who do you guys see as this year's Ron Hainsey? Um, that kind of under the radar move, and I. Uh, we had him here for a while, and I've always been a big fan of Michael Grabner. I think he's a wildly underrated player, and he he just does so many things so well. And when he gets hot, he is an he is a legitimate goal scorer. I see him as a guy in the right fit that could really push a team. And you you guys mentioned Nashville. I I, I agree with that. I think they're ready to win it all now, and he might be the piece that they can get for not a huge price. Uh, that would push them over the top. Is there anybody I'm missing who kind of falls into that group? I like Patrick Maroon, and Maddie could speak more to this, but when you got a guy that has experienced, uh, whether it's Edmonton or in other places he's played, um, he can play with star players, but he can also play down your lineup, and you know, playoffs are a little bit meaner, a bit tougher. Um, having a big body like Maroon, I, I think, could definitely help, and he seems to be the kind of guy that once the playoffs start and you, you do throw him on a contending team, um, he could chip in with a, a huge goal here and a huge goal there. And that's all it really takes. Like, you remember the Antoine Rumet trade to Chicago. He yep. didn't do anything. Yep. He was a healthy scratch. And all of a sudden, he gets a couple of big overtime goals. And really, that was really the difference between Chicago winning and losing when you come to think of it. Let's put it this way. Patrick Maroon will fetch more uh, with the Edmonton Oilers trading him than the Anaheim Ducks a couple of years ago when they got Martin <laughs> Bernat and a fourth round draft trade. Yeah, you think? Uh, <laughs> The question with Maroon is, it's a fast game now. Right. Maroon is not a fast player. 
if you've got a fast team, do you want to pick up a slower player? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I do think St. Louis is a certain possibility. Boston's possibility. I mean, if you went back to St. Louis, that's where he's from. I, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised. But you also have to, last year in the playoffs, the Oilers played San Jose in the first round. It wasn't a very mean series. But it got meaner in the second round when they're playing Anaheim. And that's where a player like Maroon is a little more attractive. The first round series was more of a skating series. So as most first round series are, you know, everybody's so excited to be in the playoffs. And then once you get through the first round, it becomes more of a slog. So uh, it, it is, I think the orders are asking for a first round draft choice for Patrick Maroon. Wow. I think that's their first ask. And, <laughs> and Peter Shirelli is asking for more than, say, a Fifth round draft choice for Mark Letestu and seeing where, where, you know, where things are going. They won't get a first rounder for Patrick Maroon. If I'm the Edmonton Oilers with the farm team they've got with not one forward on their team, young forward on their team that's going to play in the NHL on a regular basis, uh, I would be looking for somebody else's prospect, a good prospect on another team. Boston's got lots of prospects. St. Louis has got lots of prospects. Uh, that's what I would be looking for. Winnipeg's got lots of prospects. I would be looking for a prospect for Patrick Maroon, and I agree with you. He's, he can play with good players. You know, he played with Getzlaff in Anaheim, and he played with Connor McDavid, you know, more last year than this year. So he can play with better players. He can elevate his game. Winnipeg's an interesting one, aren't they? I mean, they're not really the classic buyers. But, I mean, they're in a position, I mean, they have a, as legitimate a claim to, to anybody to being, you know, a, a contender. And and for me, there's always been such a drop-off between their top six forwards and the next. If they could upgrade the bottom half of their lineup a bit, I think that would go a long way. Because I really like their blue line. They, they seem to have found the goalie. Uh, if they add some forward depth, they might be uh, a really, really tough out for teams in the second, third round. Um do you think there's an appetite for Kevin Shoveldayoff and that ownership group to add to this group? I think there is, and it goes against Kevin Shoveldayoff's grain. He doesn't make very many trades, sorry, at the deadline. He doesn't really do it unless he's forced into making a deal like the Evander Kane deal. He, he nibbles around the edges, but I think he owes it to his team this year. He's looked at his team and said, you know, we got as good a chance in the West as anybody, so if I can get another forward, great. I think he'd like another defenseman, too. Uh a veteran defenseman, and I think he owes it to his team. And he's making more phone calls than than he normally does, and and good on him. I mean, he's got a really good team, and if he can get one more forward and, and a depth defenseman, uh, so be it. Yeah, the problem with Winnipeg is you got guys like Kyle Connor uh, playing so well. Like he's got twenty goals as a twenty year old. So. Um, the problem is you add a guy um, up front and you, you risk taking some ice time away from a guy who's emerging and uh, has been a real good impact player for you. And same thing um, on the back end. Like you're going to get Truba back, I, I believe, next month. Uh, you're getting Adam Lowry back sometime this week. And uh, the goaltenders are all kind of getting healthy now. So uh, now you're back to having the, the three-headed kind of beast back there in net. So they don't really need to add, but I'm with you. I think uh, if this is a year, um, if any year that Kevin Chevaldeoff, um has is in a position where he can add, this is it. Like he's never really been in the spot where he's got a championship contender on his hands, and um, the last thing you want is an injury uh, to derail it. So I wonder if, with the way that uh, Matt Hendricks is going, if they try to get just even a slight upgrade back there, or sorry, uh, down the middle, 
and maybe a guy like uh, Mark Latestu or Michael Grabner, where you got some versatility and some speed with Grabner, guy that can play on the PK, if that's a, sort of an attractive option there. But I'm with you. I don't think they have to make a move. I'll throw out to all of you. Um, I don't recall a year where I've seen so many quote unquote big names available, supposedly available. I mean, you. I know supposedly Rick Nash is, is a key word. Okay. <laughs> well, it, it is, but you, you'd think that when rumors get out that at least there's some kernel of truth to their availability. But you, you look at guys like, you know, we've talked about Rick Nash. You talk about Eric Carlson, probably at the very high end. I mean, Mike, you said they'd be foolish to, to look at moving a guy like this, but apparently it, it's out there. Is it worth someone taking a swing at, at a player like that? Well, I'm looking at Tampa Bay as uh, the number one destination for a guy like Carlson just because he gives you two cracks at the cup. Um, and, and the fact that he's not a, a quote-unquote rental player and that you get him for this uh, for the final months of the season plus next year, uh, I think that is worth giving up, uh, whether it's a Mikhail Sergachev and your first-round pick and maybe another prospect in the, in the process uh, to get a guy like Carlson. Um, I think if you're Steve Eiserman, that, that can be enticing enough. I'm just kind of curious, like, how did Ottawa get to this point? Uh, I know Eugene Melnick is not your average owner. Um, he's definitely a guy that's looking at the bottom line when it comes to salaries. And um, it's just real unfortunate. Like, this is a team that was really a goal away from playing in the Stanley Cup final. And um, you remember those quotes from Pierre Dorian saying that, uh, what was it, on the fifth day, uh, God created Carlson or something to that effect. And to go from that to where he's basically number one on everyone's trade list board, um, it's a bit of a joke and it's an embarrassment if you're an Ottawa Senators fan. This reminds me of when the Oilers traded Paul Coffey in 1987 to a degree. Glenn Sather didn't want to pay Paul Coffey what he wanted, and uh, so Coffey, you know, hung around for a while, then he ended up trading him to Pittsburgh. In this case, the owner doesn't necessarily want to pay Eric Carlson the money. The general manager has no problem at all. He doesn't. He knows how good Eric Carlson is. Uh, and back in '87, I know it's a different time, but all Glenn Sather could squeeze out of Pittsburgh was Hockey Night in Canada's Craig Simpson, who won him a couple of cups and was very good before he hurt his back. Chris Joseph, now a firefighter, uh, Mo Mantha. Uh, who he traded immediately flipped for Keith Acton uh, two months after the fact, and Dave Hannon. So back in the now they're talking like ten pieces or eight pieces or whatever it is for Eric Carlson. Well, I'm sorry, Eric Carlson's no better a player than than uh, than Paul Coffey is back then. And I, I I agree and disagree on Tampa. They've got a defenseman uh, Victor Hedman who isn't as good as Eric Carlson, but he's mo- he's their most valuable player. Is there room for Carlson and Hedman? Uh, if you have to give up, say, Sergachev and Braden Point, I'm not so sure. Uh, if you've given up some of your prospects, yeah. If you have to give up players on your current roster for them, uh, I don't know. And I I think, I know one thing, Steve Eisenman's about as hard a bargainer or as there is in his general managers and league go, I think he'd much rather try for Ryan McDonough with, you know, he's made lots of trades with the New York Rangers before and he's got, you know, Callahan and, and uh, other players there. I think he'd much rather have a, a all around player to play with Victor Hedman uh, really, and wouldn't have to give up. He could give up prospects and he wouldn't necessarily have to give up the players he, he would for uh, Carlson. 
If I look at some of the names that are rumored to be available, um, there's a lot of younger players available that that have maybe been a bit disappointing. Do any of you think a guy like a you know a Max Domi or even a Galchenyuk? We talked about uh, Kane a little bit. Guys who still really haven't hit their potential yet. Is there anyone out there that you think would be, really be worth taking a risk for? Yeah, Max Domi is real interesting just because, okay, Arizona, they definitely need to shake things up and they've got a ton of prospects in the in the American League that are really on the cusp of uh, being NHLers, whether it's uh, Dylan Strom or a Lawson Kraus or um, uh, Nick Merkley. So you, you do have some depth back there, up front. Um, and a guy like Domi, I don't know, maybe he's just in need of a, a fresh start in the same way that uh, an Anthony Duclair was. But, yeah, it's... I guess if you're trading a Galchenyuk, um, you're probably just doing the kids some favors to get out of that market because what a mess that is. Like, poor guy doesn't know if he's playing center or wing half the days or if his general manager has got his back or um, sticking a knife in it. So, um, yeah, if I, was, if I was Galchenyuk's agent, I'd be saying, yeah, please trade this poor kid because uh, it can't get any worse. It was. Uh, it's funny, and I remember thinking that when, when Max Domi's name first popped up on, on the radar um, – he has been friends with Bo Harvat since they were nine, ten years old. They grew right. up playing minor hockey together. Uh, they they played on the same line for the for the London Knights. Uh, the Canucks supposedly are in the market for a twenty two, twenty three, twenty four year old forward. Domi's name hasn't been connected with the Canucks, but I I remember wondering that at the time, and it 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 just kind of twigged when uh, when you mentioned that that name. There was Elliot Friedman had that report, and you know the Canucks seemed to be chasing an established NHL forward. Um, who knows what they're going to offer because apparently the Eric Branson for Mitch Marner trade uh, fell through at the last minute there, which was a heartbreaking scenario for Canucks fans. But uh, <laughs> sorry, it was a long way to go for a cheap joke. <laughs> those two players, those two players will get traded at the trading. It will get traded at the draft if they get traded. Galchenyuk. Yeah, that, that's, yeah, no, that's just it. And, and yeah, I mean, the, the chip the Canucks have is Chris Tanev, who unfortunately showed up with a broken bone in his leg. So that kind of puts the damper on that. So, you know, from a Canucks point of view, short of the eternal Thomas Vanek trade, and really what's a deadline without a Thomas Vanek trade, I'm not sure what they're going to do. Well, it's interesting you, you mentioned Vanek, uh, or sorry, Tanev, Ed, because as we all know, the fans that are listening to this will still look at Tanev and say, well, yeah, so what? He's got a broken leg. He's still worth a first and a second, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, so what about, let's as we move into our last segment here, let's talk about some general managers. And Jim, I, I found it intriguing you talked about players like that going at the draft. It seems like the draft is the new trade deadline. That's when you do see the most movement. But there are a number of general managers here who you'd look at and say they're under pressure, aren't they, to get something done at this uh, at the deadline? Uh, I guess they're under pressure. I, I th- they, they, they would be. I think it would be internal pressure with a general manager realizing that there is no juggernaut out there. I mean, Pittsburgh, I guess, would be the closest thing because they've won two cups. But you know, you look at the at who's playing, and you're thinking, oh, you know, maybe we've got a team good enough to to go deep in the playoffs, so I better make a deal. I. I don't know how many general managers are really, really under the gun myself. I, um, I, I think Chuck Fletcher in Minnesota I might be. Chuck, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's yeah. a case where they have a good team, but they can't seem to get over the hump. And the owner, you know, Craig Leopold is probably looking at, we got a better team than this. We should be, you know, 
going a little deeper in the playoffs than we are. Well, yeah, and he got burned at the trade deadline last year. I've got a question for you, Maddie. being as you're in Alberta. Does Calgary make a move thinking this might be the one that gets us into the playoffs? Uh, they need forwards, uh, which is, you know, they were in the Tobias Reader. I don't know if you call, sweepstakes. You call that a sweepstake. <laughs> Former Oiler draft, Tobias Reader, uh, who look pretty good on the Oilers right now, as a matter of fact. Uh, they need a they need some wingers, I think. And, uh, they'll be they'll be looking to, to add. But I, you know, the, some of the teams just got so many uh, good prospects. It's much easier to trade. You know, Boston's got a a boatload of, of good prospects, and, and Tampa has them, and St. Louis has them, and Winnipeg has them. But not every team has them. So those sort of teams are the teams that that are you know they've got the wherewithal to to give up some prospects because they've got six of them and they've not all six prospects are going to play in the NHL and you're willing to give up a couple. So, um, here in all I know in Edmonton is they're not trading Leon dry. So how's that? Yeah. I, I think a team like Calgary, they've got to feel some pressure, uh, to get in. Like they're only two points out right now. And when you've got Edmonton, not in the playoffs, Vancouver, not in the playoffs, but both teams should be kind of rebounding at least next year or the year after. Um, it's, it's kind of a funny year. Like Chicago is also floundering this year. They're not going to be in the playoffs. Uh, chances are maybe L.A. is not going to be there. So this is kind of an opportunity missed if Calgary also misses the playoffs, especially for how close they are and the kind of season that a guy like Johnny Goudreau's having. And especially when you got a goaltender like Mike Smith. Like, I'm not saying Calgary can get in and become Stanley Cup uh, a contender right away, but um, I think they'd be doing themselves a disservice if they can't even make it in there for how close they are and for what their forwards have done. Like a guy like Sean Monaghan also having a great year. Um, it, it would just seem like a big waste if they just missed out by a point or two. Mike, what do you think is going to happen in Montreal? I mean, you mentioned what a mess it is vis-a-vis Galchenyuk, and we'd also talked about Pacioretty, but, you know, there's a lot of players on that team who might be attractive to other, other teams in the playoffs. Montreal's obviously their season's done. I mean, it, that's a team that's always under pressure. Do you see the Canadians being active at all? Well, what a mess. Like, we're talking on Thursday, and they shut down Shea Weber for the year uh, today with uh, some sort of strain or uh, in his ankle or whatever. And Carey Price also out for the year uh, with a concussion. So you lose your number one defenseman and number one goalie all on the same day. And uh, next year, Carey Price gets a $4 million pay increase. So that's going to make it even tougher for a guy like Bergevin, whoever else is running the show there to uh, add more players around him. So uh, you're asking what to do. I don't know. Um, you, you got Price signed up long-term. You got uh, Shea Weber, who's old and getting older, who also has got a long-term contract. Jonathan Druin is obviously not the center that they thought he was. A guy like uh, Pacioretty might be moved at the in the summer. If he does get moved, how does that actually get you better? Um because I don't know how can you, how do you go through a rebuild when you've got arguably the the best goaltender in the NHL uh, when he's healthy and Carey Price? Uh, it, it is a strange scenario. Um, at least with Ottawa, they're sort of in a similar boat, but it seems like they're at least stomaching the the thought of not having Eric Carlson for um, for next season, which might actually be a better move than what uh, Montreal looks like with uh, Carey Price. Shea Weber and a bunch of guys that just don't fit. You're right. You're right. The Oilers at least have Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl. Montreal's best two players theoretically are are the goaltender and and Weber, who's hurt, and they're older players. So it's it's a mess. And Montreal, I mean, 
they only have one bargaining chip, and that's Pacioretty. And they have to get a center back for Pacioretty. They got no centers in Montreal. They need a center. And uh, are you going to trade a winger for a center? Not many teams trade you a center for a winger. So uh, it would be very interesting, I would suspect. And their UFA is like, really, is there a market for a 35-year-old Thomas uh, Plakanics or uh, a 34-year-old Alice Hemsky who's injured right now and when he was healthy wasn't doing anything? So they don't even have any pieces uh, at this year's uh, deadline aside from maybe Antti Niemi who, come on, is he going to fetch you, what, a conditional eighth-round pick? <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a joke there. Uh, Pittsburgh might take Plakanics. Yeah, they're not taking Niemi. They already went through that. <laughs> <laughs> Ed, if we look at the Canucks, and let's face it, not many people want to, um, we've talked about this here. Uh, there was a lot of pressure on Benning, I think, prior to him resigning, which has got the fans all fired up. But they just, the fans seem to want this team burned to the ground and let's, let's get the best chances at, at the uh, draft lottery. Do you see much moving out of Vancouver before the weekend? Well, aside from Vanek, pro- probably not. But I, but I think that's an important deal just for the branding. From the branding point of view, I think the Canucks have to get on message here, uh, and, and it's fine. I think, uh, again, I think this fan base is divided on the Good Branson deal, but I think they see some value uh, in the player. But if they come back with Vanek, that gives them four forwards, uh, 33 and over going into next year. And I'm sorry, that just doesn't square with the rebuilding team. So I, he's got to be moved. He's got to bring some assets back. And it's not really for the trade. It's just the message that's being sent to the fan base here. Um, for all of you, can you pick one player that you think is most likely to Michael be Michael Grabner. And I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, he took my guy. I wouldn't be surprised if the <laughs> Penguins got Michael Grabner. Ed? No, go, go to Mike, because Maddie <laughs> took my guy, legend. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll give you time to think of number two on your no, list, Mike, because there's someone out there that you think is a dead set. Yeah, well, I keep mentioning him, but Patrick Maroon. Uh, I, I think there's just too many teams that are reportedly in on him. Um, everyone that needs him or even doesn't need him, like a Toronto, I think, would love to have him. Uh, there's just there's so many old-school general managers who just are in love with guys who have uh, size that, you know, uh, um, worst case scenario, it's just another big body up front. So um, I'm going with uh, Maroon, even though he's lost a step or two or three. Ed, do you think someone like Nash will get? Oh moved? yeah, I that's mean, the, so look, okay, that's, the that's that's the picking the low ha- hanging fruit here. I'll go off the board then because I think I think Ottawa is under pressure to make a, a big move. I, I don't see a, a Carlson trade coming together at the trade deadline. But Mike Hoffman's a guy with a bit of a scoring touch, a guy who has term left on his contract. Might be a little rich for some team's blood, but if he thinks he fits in with your group, that might be a guy you make a move. And like I said, I think just given the year Ottawa has, they have to give their fans some hope for the future. So I, 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 I would see that move. Don't you think the Ottawa Senators, before I let you go, look like the Edmonton Oilers back in the 90s where they're with the $30 million payroll having to go against 80, and they say, oh, we got to get rid of this guy. Where are they going to find another Mike Hoffman? Where are they going to find another Eric Nelson? I mean, you open that up. But the crazy thing, like when, when you talked about teams that were stacked with prospects, Ottawa was almost at the top of the list last year. I mean, that's how the Canucks end up with Jonathan Dallin for Alex Burroughs, which now looks like a terrible trade from Ottawa's point of view. 
But what, what happened to all those prospects? What happened to Shabbat? What happened to the white kid? What happened to this guy? What happened to that guy with Ottawa? It's just amazing the way the fortunes have turned around for that franchise in the space of one year to go from a Stanley Cup semifinalist to where they are now is absolutely mind-boggling. And that's what makes me think that Carlson trade isn't that far-fetched. Um, like I said, not at the deadline, but 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 this off season, it, it's just it, it it it's nuts what's happened to that uh, franchise. The other the other player who will get traded at the trading deadline or at the draft is Oliver Ekman Larson. Good one by he, you, Matty. Yep, he, yep. he does not want to sign again in, in uh, Arizona, and I don't care what they they. I'm sure they're hoping he does, but after all that losing, the people I talk to feel he needs a to change of scenery. There's one thing that'll keep them there, Rasmus Dahlin. Okay, <laughs> if they win, <laughs> if they win the number one overall pick, and they can add another Swede defenseman in the uh, the vein of an Eric Carlson or Nicholas Lidstrom, I, I think that'll convince them. But I'm with no, you. I, 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 I think, think if they got Dahlin, they trade Oliver Ekman Larson for a center. Well, come on, we all we all know that the Oilers are winning the draft lottery again. That's already <laughs> given. Um, I, I do want to end uh, last for last comment here um, from you guys. W- what I'm hearing a lot through the the podcast is there are a lot of these players that are available but might be tough to move. If we look beyond the trade deadline and we do look to the draft and free agency, are we going to see a pretty intense period here of? Um, I don't want to call it panic or desperation, but just a lot of movement with big players and pressure to make moves and put packages together. Because again, when you look at some of the young names that are available and some of the big names that are available, is this going to be kind of a, not just a trade deadline and great playoffs, but are we going to see a pretty active off season here? I I I think so. Yeah, I I think so. But I I think it's going to be a little distorted just because, just because of the star quality of the names involved. You know, you're talking top of the marquee guys. I'm not sure if there'll be the volume of trades. But I think when you when you're talking about names like like Ekman Larson and names like Carlson and names like some of the other guys we've mentioned, you know that that's I mean those are those are seismic kind of trades that really have a ripple effect throughout the league. So like I said, not 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 necessarily quantity, but I think the quality of the players will move will make this a fascinating off season. The Oilers better make a move because the fan base is awfully upset right now. If the Oilers do nothing this summer. The general manager might be in a little bit of heat. He's got to do something to plug all those holes and suddenly look uh, very deep with the others. Yeah, there's too many teams out there that maybe are not in need of a rebuild, but definitely in need of a retail. And you mentioned Edmonton. I'll throw out Buffalo. And then another team to really kind of watch out for this summer is Chicago. Uh, there's so many aging star players, but obviously uh, something needs to shake up there because um, that Chicago team is definitely – not getting any younger, they're not getting any better. And uh, when you've got Duncan Keith, uh, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze, uh, Brent Seabrook, I think maybe two of those guys are going to get moved this summer. Um, so th- there's going to be a lot of big name movement. I, I agree with uh, Ed there in that regard. All right, gentlemen, I think we will leave it there. I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank the the three of you for participating. This is a post-media sports podcast looking through to the trade deadline. You can come to any of our post-media properties to get caught up on the happenings going into the trade deadline right up until the last minute and beyond. So thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.
That's our Oil Spills podcast for today. You can listen to our show via iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. I'm Craig Ellingson. Talk to you soon.